brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Softweb Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Rep Radio on time, on target. Very excited to have on with us today, Jared Van Dries, CEO of Asgard Technology Group and has led close protection detail for CEOs, dignitaries, heads of state, celebrities. And I was looking at pretty much every continent in, on the globe, which is pretty cool. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I've been fortunate to travel to more than 70 countries in the world. Um, and have experienced some pretty amazing and neat things uh, considering where I came from and uh, my family and all that kind of stuff. And, and also the co-author of, which is right in front of me, Public Figures, Private Lives, an introduction to protective security for high net worth individuals and family offices. You, you co-wrote that with three other guys, and I've been looking through the book today, and it's getting stellar reviews on Amazon. And as some people have said on Amazon, it's basically like a deep dive into the lives of, of these high net worth individuals and working security for them. So if it's something you're interested in, this is a great book on that. Um, I want to get into your background since I think the interesting thing is that you don't have a military background and, and got into this line of work. But uh, you were actually referred to us by our social media guy, Nick Betts. I was wondering how you know Nick. Yeah, Nick and I used to work for an executive protection firm uh, based in Los Angeles, and so we worked a lot of details together and uh, kind of struck uh, struck up a friendship uh, long after that. So we keep in touch and talk and chat, and uh, yeah, I think he passed your information or my information on to you. Yeah, absolutely, and he's a great guy. So uh, as I said, I think the first thing we could get into is I, I just I think it's. Um, just out of the ordinary to meet someone with your background who has no military experience. It's almost like getting on a plane and a pilot has no military experience. So like, how did you get into this line of work? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. So I grew up in a really little small town in Alaska. I love the place, but I also uh, equate it to, uh, you ever seen that movie Napoleon dynamite? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, so it's kind of like that in, in a little bit where small town, small minds where, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of Uncle Rico's in that town talking about it. You know, coach would have put him in uh, in the game in fourth quarter. We would have been state champs or, you know, reliving their glory days of Want to see uh, me athletics. Throw this football over that mountain? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I love that little town. But I just I, I, I kind of grew up with a strange family. Uh, we we're kind of the, uh, the town weirdos in a sense. And uh I wanted to get the hell out of there and I wanted to um, experience something different. I wanted to see the world and uh, I had a love of martial arts growing up and uh, did a lot of that. And 
uh, I was reading, um, uh, it's kind of embarrassing, I was reading Black Belt magazine back when people used to read magazines. <laughs> and uh, there was an article about this little executive protection school in Colorado. And I decided that I wanted to, uh, you know, go towards that goal of getting into the executive protection field. I was 15 years old, which is uh, kind of unheard of. And um, I had a lot of people that kind of dissuaded me from going in that direction. You'll never make any money. You're too young, you know, this, that, and the other. And I'm uh, pretty hard headed when somebody tells me I can't do something. So, um, I wrote to the school, said, I want to, uh, you know, I want to, you know, go to your school. I was 16 at the time and they said, you know, you're too young. And I got a letter of recommendation from my house, high school counselor. I got a scholarship. I, uh, paid for it myself. I think the school was about ten or fifteen thousand dollars back then, and you know I was um, working four different jobs to pay for it. And they had kind of a distance education portion, and then after you passed that, then you went in and you did some you know hands-on training there and kind of learned the, the ropes. And I did that, and I graduated at nineteen. I was the youngest graduate uh, in that school at a, a two-year program. And then I said, okay, I'm ready to protect people. And uh, everybody laughed at me and said, you're you know, a young kid and um, you got a lot to learn. And I took every shit job in security that I could. You know, um, Once I turned 21, you know, I was bouncing at bars. I was working uniform security. I was doing hostile terminations, just everything I could to build my resume up. And then I got a lucky break, uh, you know, I basically used everything that, that, that people had against me uh, to my benefit. You know, I'm too young, don't have any military, don't have any law enforcement. Well, what can I do that other people couldn't? I, you know, I could blend in with the, the children of prominent families as an older brother or an uncle and go play basketball with them or do something uh, where I could blend in. And that was kind of my wedge into uh, getting into the, into the industry and, um, had a lot of success with that. And then it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And my experience, uh, you know, grew with that. It's interesting that this is just one of those things I've noted myself is that it seems like there's uh, different types of clients, of course, but there's the type of client that they deliberately want that guy who is like the juiced up former soft guy with the full sleeve tattoos because they're looking for an image. John, and, John McAfee. <laughs> and, and, and then there, and then there's the, then there's the type of client that, as you said, like they do not want that. They want you to just blend in. You are not to out, you know, definitely you don't want to outshine the client himself or herself, but that you're, you're like you said, just blend in with the family. Yeah. I mean, I think there's different levels of executive protection as well. And there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, guys that are much bigger than me and stronger than me and look the part and have the cool uh, lower back tattoos and all the, and all those <laughs> things. Um, but, I, I mean, ultimately, it's kind of like um, I, I equate it to if you look at a millionaire uh, versus a billionaire, a millionaire really has to floss fucking hard, right? They want to show all the cool shit that they have, their, their car, their this, their that. Billionaires have so much money, they don't give a fuck about any of that. They Very don't have, true. You know, they'll drive their Prius or they'll, they'll drive their, you know, their little regular car. I, I've um, said it before. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast. Um, when I was working at Steve uh, at SiriusXM, Steve Forbes was a regular, 
And he uh-huh. was one of those guys who would come in with absolutely no one, come in solo with a with a cup of coffee from McDonald's and be like, hey, what's up, guys? Yeah. While, you know, yeah. like these rappers that were on the come up came in with like a 20 man entourage. <laughs> and it was just, you sure. know, like Steve Forbes is worth probably a million times what you're worth. Yeah. And there's a difference between, you know, like you say the rappers and I've worked in the music industry as well. I fucking love doing it. It's the most (laughs) fun I've ever had in the industry when you can travel with people and deal with crazy fans and all that kind of stuff. Um, But ultimately, you know, those people aren't full time. You know, the musicians and the people that are are touring, they only have security, um, you know, if typically somebody's going to pay for it, you know, uh, and that could be you know, one nation, you know, a live nation or one of these companies that, that, uh, puts them on tour, but in their regular life, they're not having, you know, um, regular security. And, and the folks that we're typically dealing with are, have a net worth of about $600 million or wow. above. You know, you think about it, you think about, uh, like, uh, Taylor Swift, right? She's probably one of the biggest artists in the world. You know, she's what made 75 million last year or the year before, and, you know, and you think, Oh, that's a lot of money, but Ultimately, how much does the manager take? How much does, uh, you know, the agent take? How much do the attorneys take? And then can she afford a, uh, you know, a $2 billion around the clock uh, protection detail at her house? Maybe, but it's still a stretch in comparison to somebody who's worth $600 million, has $600 million in the bank, right? At least. About how so much does, I, it, does it cost? Because I, I remember asking a friend of mine in executive protection, uh, you know, about, you know, to have the, the one bodyguard and the suburban in New York City. He's like, that's like half a million dollars a year just to start, like easily. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it depends. It depends on if you're paying a company or you're paying the person, um, you know, what is, you know, is it 24-7? Is it only when they're out, you know, doing events? Because you can find... You could find somebody and they good money. You could find uh, somebody that just is kind of the primary for a client and they're making, you know, you know, 200 grand a year mm-hmm. easy. But I mean, if you're looking at 24 seven at somebody's residence to start, you know, you're looking at, at least a million bucks, at least a million bucks to do that. People are working end, in shifts you know? and yeah, shifts. I mean, you have four or five people, you need time off, you need time for training. If you do it right, you know, all those kinds of things. Interesting. And also, uh, I guess another thing I'd like to ask you, too, is the difference between armed security and unarmed security. Um, and, and sometimes it's not uh, it's not even an option, right, to carry in some of the when you're traveling with a client abroad and things like this. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it, it's so different. I mean, you know, uh, executive protection, corporate exec, executive protection, very different than, like, say, the PSD operations that um a lot of the military folks are doing over mm-hmm. in the sandbox and, you know, Afghanistan or, and, and in Iraq, you know, where you are, you know, uh, you can carry and you're, you're, it's, you know, a paramilitary operation when you're working with, you know, folks in the celebrity or corporate environment. I mean, it's not, you're basically on your own. So yeah, if you have your concealed carry, that's great. But what happens when you, you go to Rwanda or Uganda or Paris or, or somewhere else? Uh, you're not going to get any reciprocity to carry in those uh, countries. And also, it's uh, it's not important either. I mean, firearms in my line of work is a tool, but it's probably the, the most uh, worthless tool in the sense of, 
you know, uh, what exactly might happen in an emergency, probably 500 more times of uh, a chance of having a medical emergency than a firearm. And it's also, you know, uh, reactive uh, versus, you know, you know, being uh, proactive. And I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, law enforcement is reactive. There's a crime. We're going to react to it. We're going to draw our gun. You know, executive protection is, you know, take your client and get them out of there. You're not there to engage the threat or take anybody down. You're there to save the principal. And so it's like cover and evacuate, essentially, right? So seeing all those situations that are dangerous and, and scary and, and uh, trying to get the principal out of there and mitigating risk, not, you know, jumping in the middle of it, right? So you're not going to try to play Dan Bilzerian and <laughs> tell the cop, give me your gun, bro. You know my background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the guy's like, who the fuck are you? you know? um, yeah, um, exactly. I mean, it's different. It's it's logistics. It's a real uh, cerebral uh, profession. I mean, you have to blend in and uh, you have to be a social chameleon and not embarrass your client. And, you know, to, to you know, I come from a very, you know, humble, poor little family. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot to 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 learn how to carry yourself in high society and, 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 you know, with people that are the most influential, powerful, most money in the world, you know, how are you interacting with them? How are you doing it in a way where you're not looking like an ass? Um, so, you know, just as you're going to interact differently with your grandmother than you are with your boys, you know, when you're out drinking or, uh, you know, playing basketball or, or whatnot. Right. I think people also miss, uh, understand how much work it is you guys do. Like, especially if you're like a one man band or maybe just two guys, like it is a lot of work to plan the routes, to do the, the site surveys and, and plan the security. I mean, I, I have friends who've done executive security and they're just exhausted because of the amount of work involved in it. Yeah. So, you, you know, you think if you're, your principal has a 10 or 12 hour day and some of them even have longer days than that. I mean, you easily could add, you know, four more hours onto your day than the principal has. So, I mean, it's dragging, you know, uh, dragging long days out there, you know, um, just all the pre-planning, like you say, all the advanced work, all of the, all the stuff that you have to do to, to make shit happen seamlessly for your principal. You know, we make magic happen. It's always the joke, but it's true. Uh, principals have some crazy wild requests and, you know, we do whatever we can to make it, make it work. And, um, it takes a lot of, uh, effort. The, st- the stuff about working unarmed, by the way, is, is pretty much spot on as the same thing that Ami Tobin said when he was on the podcast, who's guarded guys yeah. in Silicon Valley. And, you know, I, I think some people were surprised and he's like, no, I don't carry. And, uh, yeah. it seems that seems to be the norm when you're, when you're guarding high net worth individuals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it depends. I mean, I carried for 10 years straight, but I carried for 10 years straight when we were in, um, uh, you know, when we were in California, cause I had my California CCW anytime we went anywhere else, unless my firearm, you know, I had reciprocity in that state, you know, then, uh, I wouldn't carry him. You go to other places in the world, you don't carry. So it's different. I mean, there's an art to this, um, to this career field that's different. It's different than being able to like flash a badge and get shit that you, you want to happen. But if you don't have a badge and you don't have any sort of authority, um, you have to be able to, to kind of use your skill set and use your, you know, your social, uh, I don't know, skills to, to make stuff happen. And that's, that's tough for people. 
you know, you have to know how to communicate to people in a way that they're going to hear your message. If I come in there and I try to big dick somebody, they're going to, you know, um, they're not going to help me. And then other times you, you have to big dick people. So it really depends on where you're at and what you're doing. Right. And knowing that balance, which is difficult. I remember I had a conversation a few years back with a guy who did this, um, former Australian special operations guy, and he was doing, um, what amounted to executive protection, uh, in Australia and by law, they were not, it was some weird law. They were not allowed to carry guns to protect the person, but you could carry a gun to protect, protect, um, expensive items. So like when they were at his house, they had guns to protect the expensive artwork on the walls, not the client. When they went traveling, they had the guns to protect the $30,000 Rolexes that each of them were wearing, not the client. It was just one of those yeah. weird things that I was like, <laughs> it's bizarre. Yeah, it is. It is super strange. And I mean, uh, gun laws uh, across the U.S. Are, are, are pretty strange as well. So and state by state, obviously. Right. Well, what are some of the weirder requests you've gotten from clients over the years about things they'd want you to do? And you just had to be like, no. Um, you know, I've been fortunate in the sense of uh, um, I haven't had, you know, uh crazy uh requests other than you know um some kind of some dorky guys that um are super rich and want to get laid and and uh, can't talk to women so um i have to go pick up on uh on ladies uh not for me but for my boss and that's a little strange and interesting and then it's always fun when i come back and tell my wife all these cool stories of why I stink like perfume and, um, you know, what, what I did on the road, you know, but, uh, I've been pretty fortunate, you know, uh, of not having to deal with too, too much, uh, uh, craziness on, on, on wild things. It's more of like, Hey, I want to, um, I want to go to Paris tomorrow or right now. And then you're, you know, you're jumping on an airplane and, and making stuff happen. I think one of the most interesting days I had was, I was with a client in Florida watching a um, watching one of the shuttles launch, and then the client said, "Oh, I want to go to um, New Orleans and um, and and watch uh, my daughter film her movie." So we go from Florida in the morning watching a shuttle launch to um, you know New Orleans filming a movie and then later that night we went to a ballet in San Francisco so I'm thinking holy shit what did I do today I was just in Florida this morning New Orleans in the afternoon and now I'm watching a ballet in San Francisco I mean when can you do that in your normal life you know I, I can't afford to fly private right but when you can get on the, the jet that you know, flies, you know, faster than light. I mean, you, you can get to places and do things that, uh, you wouldn't be able to do. Right. So how did, uh, Asgard technology group get started? Yeah. So it's a spinoff from a company, um, AS solution that I was working with and we were, um, trying to come up with an app for advanced work that can save agents, you know, time in the field, uh, by being able to do everything digitally, uh, and, you know, uh, and just saving time being able to, to catalog that information. So, you know, principals can say, okay, you look really good in your, in your cool little suit and your earpiece, but what, what exactly have you done for me? What do you do? And you can say, well, we've done, you know, you know, 58 advances last month. We've, um, you know, uh, we've, we did, you know, 200 legs of trips for you. We've done this, we've done that, being able to pull metrics and data. That's just where, 
the future of our industry is going. We also had an interesting incident. We uh, were protecting a principal in Paris in 2015 during, you know, right when that terrorist attack happened. I think they killed 137 people. And we grabbed the principal to leave. And um, the principal says, I'm not leaving. I have 30 people here on the ground, 30 employees. I'm not going anywhere. And so we hunkered down with, uh, at a hotel with him and had to painstakingly, you know, uh, use a call tree to uh, figure out where all of his employees were and uh, make sure that they were safe. And we thought, shit, there's got to be a better way that we can do this uh, in the future because we always do you know, after action reports and kind of analyze, you know, everything that we've done and, and, and how can we do it better. And so we, one of the things of protection manager is the app that we created with Asgard was we have to put some tracking uh, capabilities in there. So now I can add as many ancillary principles that aren't really under the protection circle, protection bubble. And I can track them. I can see where they're at and they can swipe for an emergency and we can, you know, the, the global ops center can see where they're at on a map. We can get their GPS coordinates and can provide, you know, help and support anytime um, there's an emergency. And so uh, there's been so much interest in the app. Uh, and we, we broke off from the other company, AS Solution, and uh, created Asgard Technology to promote Protection Manager and, and kind of uh, have an offshoot of that other company. So that's about it and a, a little bit of a, a quick nutshell for you. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. I know um, Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande, a few others, they use an app similar to what you're describing. Um, uh-huh. Different company, though. Yeah, I think there's different uh, – you know, there's other tracking software apps out there that are uh, that are helpful. I think the, the one that – the thing that's different about our company is it's all meant for executive protection and, and for what it is we're doing. So, I mean, you can do everything within the app in regards to executive protection and pre-planning and advanced work and, and all the operational stuff, uh, while the other apps are – just kind of tracking apps. This mm-hmm. is kind of the full umbrella of executive protection. It's pretty cool. And you think that's the yeah. future of where executive protection is going to go? I mean, I think so. I think that, you know, you get a lot of old school folks that are like, Oh, I don't want to put anything, you know, online about my, you know, I don't want to use an app or my principles and OPSEC and all that. And then I say to them, well, um, you know, don't you use, you know, uh, Wi-Fi when you're at the hotel using, you know, uh, banking, you know, mobile banking, you know, um, I know when you're using your adult friend finder account, um, <laughs> you're probably using it the same phone that you're using it when you're, you know, protecting a principal. So come on about the OPSEC, you know, everything's encrypted at rest. I mean, we've taken all the, um, the necessary, uh, steps to ensure that information is private. I'm CEO of the company, and if you were to create an account, I don't get any information about your trips or what you're doing or any of your advance work. All I can see is where I can send a bill to you, right? (laughs) I was wondering, are there any funny stories you can tell about, um, you know, maybe without mentioning names uh, to protect the the innocent or not so innocent, but people have really screwed up on the job, like some just funny stuff that you can think of offhand? Yes, I've got a I've got a ton of stuff, and I'll only talk about how I fucked up. And I think that that's it's always an important thing because we're in such a tough guy industry where uh, we're the biggest, we're the baddest, we're the toughest. We don't ever screw up. 
but I think the, the, the people that have really done shit in this industry have had a lot of screw ups. Um, so I can talk about that a lot. Um, <laughs> there's actually, um, a story in the book. It's a story of Mark, uh, and it's anonymous and, um, but it is uh, a story about myself. I was working with a client for many years and this guy just had the worst personality ever. And I, and I tried really hard, um, to, you know, just kind of develop a rapport with him. And, um, the only thing I could talk to him about was, um, hot women and sports. And so I said to him, you know, one day we're talking about, uh, you know, how if you're a beautiful woman, you really don't have to try hard in life sometimes because guys will just want to do shit for you because they want to be around you and you're so beautiful and whatnot. And, and, um, he totally agreed. And then I, you know, I made the wise crack, you know, I said, uh, when you're an ugly guy like you and me, you know, we got to try hard for everything. And he like kind of looks at me and goes, yeah, but I'm not ugly. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm thinking like, oh shit, come on, man. It's a fucking joke. Like, you know, like, but I can't say that to the boss. And I go, well, wouldn't it be a, you know, a little bit weird if, uh, I said you were an attractive guy, you know, and it was just like <laughs> fucking bomb, bomb, bomb. <laughs> and then, um, you know, a month or two later, I wasn't working with him anymore. So I mean, <laughs> Um, there's always those people I mean, though, with like no yeah. sense of humor at all. I remember, um, my friend Steve from Cavino and Rich actually over at Sirius, uh, he had to do a show with this guy who was like a bodybuilder. I think it was Derek Poundstone, uh-huh. I think was his name. And they kind of had Steve there, Steve Cavino as like some comic relief. And he's a very funny guy. And every yeah. joke, this guy did not laugh at anything. And I remember on their yeah. show, Cavino and Rich, they would play clips of it. And he was like, just the awkwardness of this is so yeah. hilarious. Like, I remember they got into a conversation about gyno, gynomastia for guys who use steroids and, you know, as they say, uh-huh. bitch tits. And, uh, yeah. and, and Cavino's like, so if I go up to a hot chick and I say, like, there's some nice gynomastia on you. <laughs> and, and, like, this guy did not laugh at all. So it, yeah. it just, it sounds like that type of story. It's funny. I'm just thinking, yeah, I mean, no uh, sense of humor, yeah, no I mean, social skills. Well, he just, you know, he, he, you know, is super rich and has nobody really talked to him as I was talking yeah, to him yeah. and everybody, you know, kisses Real his talk. ass. And so it's like, listen, I struck out. I probably shouldn't have fucking done that. Um, <laughs> it's like Trump unable other, to open the umbrella. Yeah, Did you see that clip? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, you know, there's other times where, you know, I've, I've, um, taken a risk and it's paid off really well. I'll give you another example. I, I was traveling with this other client We you go, everywhere and he did a lot of secret squirrel shit and so we would go to different countries in the world and he'd say hey you know um um you gotta change your phone out you know um you know they're they're tracking everything that you do on the phone and your information isn't secure and whatnot and he kept saying that and it was just like we're on the road for six weeks i'm tired you know um then finally i'm like sir if they're so interested in seeing dick pics that I send to my wife, then they're more than welcome. And they kind of looked at me and goes, oh, shit, I never thought of that. And just like kind of laughed. And we had like this cool like little bond, right? And then, um, and then we traveled the world and we worked together for many years. And, but it was just, you know, you got to be real with people. And yeah. it's like you got to be authentic. And I think that that's important. And, and most often, I mean, I've had a you know successful career, so I think I, I know when and when not to do some of that stuff. But certainly, I've I've fucked up, and I think that I've outlined that you know with the previous story. Um, 
But I think it's important to be authentic and to show your real self, uh, especially with clients, because you have to think about it. Everybody around them wants something from them. It's trying to, uh, you, know, you know, run game on them, trying to pimp them in some way. It's just like, you know, I'm not. I'm there to help. Um, but I'm also know, you know, when to shut up as well. I mean, you don't want to be the chatty Kathy either where the client goes, hey, how was your day? And oh, great. And my sister's getting married and, you know, I'm buying a house. And yeah, well, I don't give a fuck about any of that. I just asked how your day was. So understanding, you know, when to open up and when not to. And I've been in car rides, long car rides with principals and they want silence and we don't exchange a word for five hours. That's tough, you know. Uh, we're like, man, I'm about to fall asleep here. I think. Uh, so, it, oh, go ahead, Jared. No, so I was, I, I was just saying. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's different, and um, it's a challenge. And I mean, you work with so many different types of people. Everybody's different. Everybody has a different preference. So, how do I kind of measure my personality and the way that I do things um, to blend in with them? You know. I notice with uh, the former special operations guys who go into this line of work, like some of them understand what you, what you just said. They, they take to it and they understand the context that they're working in. Yeah. And then there are other guys who think they're still driving down fucking route Tampa and Missoula. And it's like, bro, you yeah. guys need to understand yeah. where you're at. Um, and so soft guys actually, um, they're not always cut out for, for this kind of work, quite frankly, in my opinion, I don't know what you think about it. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I think that it's too much of the yes, sir, uh, yes, ma'am type shit. And people don't want to feel like a prisoner in their own home, right? Uh, it, it's awkward having security. You know, think about it. I mean, I've spent time with clients more than I spend time with my own wife and, and, and kid, you know, just because you're there with them every waking hour and you travel and they go to the bathroom or they meet the president or they're, they're doing whatever you're, you're with them. And so it's like you gotta you you gotta figure out the art of not being annoying and not having your personality you know grade against theirs. And I don't care who you are. You spend enough time, and you can be the most charming dickhead in, on the planet. But um, you know, there's gonna be times where you're just gonna annoy somebody. You're annoyed <laughs> with the principal, and the principal's gonna get annoyed with you. And I think that 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 certainly is is true. Where you know people that really have that awesome refined hard skill you know they can't um they can't mold that and shape it into uh what the principal wants i mean another example you know working with one of the most beautiful women in the world working in los angeles and you got to kind of dress the part man you know she's seemed to be the most you know um you know uh, beautiful and and stylish women on the planet go go buy some fucking designer jeans get some nice shoes get you know Get, get some nice clothing. You can't be there with your, your, I understand you wear some fucking Wranglers on your ranch in Texas, <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, you can't do that in LA. And so you, you'll see the guy, well, I'm not going to, this is how I dress. Well, don't be surprised when the boss goes, you know, she says, I don't want, I don't want Johnny around anymore. Cause Johnny doesn't get it. You know, with your, your, your ugly ass Oakley tactical glasses. You know what I mean? So when you're like uh, working for a rapper, do you wear FUBU and Fat Farm? I mean, is just, that just how it goes? Um, well, FUBU is not cool anymore. So <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's like FUBU sounding kind of dated. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, it's certainly it's uh, my speech pattern and it, it is maybe a little bit different than what it is when you're working with, uh, you know, a corporate, corporate whitey, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, 
and it's just like, uh, and it's come, comes a little bit easy for me because I love hip hop music and, um, and I can relate and it's more relaxed and, you know, um, I'm certainly not putting on a front in any ways, but it's just being more of, uh, how I would normally be with my best friends, you know, shooting the shit and not, uh, uh, not the yes, sir, no, sir stuff. Right. I, I would think, and, and Jack kind of alluded to this earlier in the interview, I bet there's some soft guys who would be perfect for the job, but they're the type of guys who, you know, get on steroids, get huge, get tatted up on the neck, on the yeah. face. And I would think <laughs> for like these jobs that you have just off image alone, they're like, we don't want this guy. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough thing. I mean, we work in an industry where it's like you can wear the wrong shoes on the wrong day and you're out. And I mean, there's a lot of, uh, um, there's a lot of folks that, you know, have tattoos and have the big look or whatever, but they can, you know, um, dress it down a little bit or, you know, certain clients love that, you know, and certain clients don't. And, and just knowing what it is yeah. and who it is you're working for. Right. Um, but I think that it, it just, again, understanding your audience, you know, who are you, who are you catering to and, and what is the job? Right. I, uh, I did a little bit of work at one point um, for a client and they had a, another person who worked for them previously was a former ranger. And uh, I, I never met him, but I was told he was a really nice guy, really good at what he did, but he had full sleeve tattoos and the client uh-huh. uh, is, uh, you know, elderly and they're old school and they associate tattoos with like motorcycle gangs and stuff like that. So they had to yeah. wear a long sleeve t-shirt when uh, even in the summer. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I work with a company too, that you could never show tattoos. So, I mean, there were guys that would be, you know, tatted up, you know, all the way. And then we'd be on the boat in the Caribbean and the client's like, why the fuck are you wearing long, long sleeves? <laughs> you know, like, well, you know, we have a no tattoo policy, you know? So it's just, it, it's crazy. It's, it's interesting, right? Uh, this industry, I love it so much because the things that you're exposed to and the things that you can see, um, not many people see and experience yeah. in the world, you know? So the book, and it spoils you. Yeah. Um, the book is public figures, private lives co-authored with three other guys from similar background. I was wondering how you got hooked up with them and, and made the book happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Christian West, my, my dear friend and Brian Jansen, uh, my other dear friend, um, uh, wrote, um, a, a, a first book, which was kind of covering corporate executive protection. And they put that out at AS Solution, um, the company that I do work for and uh, did work for previously. Um, and so they wanted to do a part two to that. And so they brought on uh, myself, a part two covering, you know, uh, uh, public figures and, and uh, private family offices. So they brought in myself and Ivor Terrett, and we, we all worked together at AS Solution. Um, and so we, we crafted the book and kind of whiteboarded everything out and did chapters and, and, uh, and wrote it together. It was a fun project that took probably about two and a half years to, to do. Hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. getting, it's getting great feedback, as I mentioned, uh, on Amazon. And I think if someone's interested in the subject, this is a great book to read on it. Um, I was wondering out of curiosity, actually, over the last few days being home during Christmas and all that. Um, I was actually just scanning through Netflix and I don't know if you came across this documentary. I, I didn't watch the whole thing, watched some of it, but it's called bodyguards secret lives from the watchtower. And it has like the guy who guarded 50 cent. Um, oh, oh just a yeah. lot of big name guys. Like the main guy 
took a bullet on a job with 50 Cent. Holy shit. Yeah, and after yeah. that, he became like well respected, and it's it's a inter- it was interesting from what I saw. It's definitely a little bit um, advertising. I think these particular guys and how great they are. Sure, but I I was just uh, curious if you if you saw it. Yeah, I have seen it. Um, I've seen that before, and I think I've met the individual who, who's been shot. He was at a, I think a conference I just went to. Oh wow! Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of facets of this industry. And uh, um, I think it's kind of kind of awesome he got shot. I'm glad I've never been shot before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, everybody's got to claim the fame, right? Yeah, I was watching. It was interesting to hear because they had DJ Who Kid on there, who I actually know. And he was talking about, he was like, you know, 50 Cent has a history with violence. I mean, the guy's been shot himself. So to him, it's sure. almost like this is cool. But he was like also on that tour it was Missy Elliott. And he's like, you know, Missy Elliott is not into this, you know, gang life or violence. And, sure. you know, he was like, we're lucky to have people like that who are willing to, you know, put their lives on the line for the client. Sure. And I think it's, it's also, too, it depends on, you know, you can say that you have, you know, you come from that background or, you you know, that gang gang mentality or gang lifestyle. But, I mean, if you do it right and um, the principal is on board, um you can really mitigate risk in a way where they're not dealing with that kind of shit. And it's different if they want to floss and have the big entourages and do all the public entrances and all of that, which makes it difficult. But I mean, there's other clients and, and, and principals that have been about that life that aren't about that life anymore. And you don't hear about them getting shot at or, <laughs> uh, or do anything like that anymore because they understand, Hey, I don't want to do that anymore. And, and let's do, um, Let's do EP the right way. I'm not saying that those guys do it in the wrong sure. way in any means, but it's just uh, you know listening to the people that are helping you and the experts and be like, okay, how do we do this in a way that is going to uh, prevent any any kind of bad things from happening? And then just kind of changing your lifestyle, right? Having the right people around you. Yeah, it was interesting yeah. because it showed the difference between for this guy like guarding a Fifty Cent and then guarding a Justin Bieber, and and it was interesting sure. hearing Justin Bieber say how like originally when he was first becoming popular, he's like, I just had this guy who was a uh, you know friend of mine was a big guy do security for me, and at a certain point, I was like, all right, I need to step this up and have someone more professional as like threats against him were uh, you know being made and that type of thing, and it was it was interesting hearing the bodyguard say he's like as silly as it sounds you know, having like 50 girls grab at this guy could be pretty scary. And, and, you know, he could feel that his life is in danger. Yeah, it is scary, especially when you have big crowds and, and uh, people that will do anything to get close to your principal, regardless of if they're quote unquote in love with your principal or, or whatnot. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's strange. It's a strange experience, you know, and, um, you know, working with clients, I've had to, you know, ride with clients in the trunk of a car to, to get them, um, sneak them out of town, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing and use wow. different decoys and my motorcycle and, uh, you know, you know, putting wigs on and all kinds of things to, to kind of, uh, uh, distract pap- paparazzi from, from, uh, following, you know, um, do you ever so, get like the crazy, like obsessed schizophrenic types, you know, sending in the mail with the newspaper letters all cut and taped up on the, <laughs> like uh, kind of nutty stuff? Yes. Yes. I used to, uh, we see receive some crazy things where one of our clients would receive shit in the mail. Like this guy just 
you know, would uh, would send his own shit in the mail every single day to the, the car. You had letters stacked to the ceiling or um, people that would would dig up graves, Holy you know, um, you know, crazy, crazy things, um, um, all kinds of uh, nasty, horrible letters, and like the, the worst stuff that you uh, have ever seen. Uh, I've seen that and, and dealt with that. So yeah, it is scary. It is scary. Uh, and then, and what, what's interesting too in this industry is, is kind of you're a representation of what your principal is. So if your principal kind of has like this good reputation and people love them and people that love you, but if you're working with a principal that, you know, say has been accused of rape and is going to trial for rape, you know, then you, you receive all that backlash that they receive. I've been spit in my face. People throw things at me, call me a rapist. I'm like, I'm just working with the guy. I'm not, had nothing to do with that, you know? So that can be, that can be difficult and a challenge, right? Watching the, um, 2016 primaries, what was pretty crazy to me was seeing, uh, Donald Trump, you know, before he was president Trump. So he's not with the secret service at that time. And, you know, he was doing these campaign rallies. I remember just watching on the news in, in States and especially in like border towns where there was these like mass, there were these massive protests against Trump uh, just like surrounding the buildings he was in. And, and it just made me think like, how is, how does he get around this? I, I it was insane to watch. Yeah. It, especially during those like kind of, uh, like you said, the primaries and, and all of it. I mean, it's, it's such a, such a hotbed, uh, topic and you you know, I mean, he was more, more news media than anybody in the world at the time, you know, with that. And, and it is, it is crazy. When you know you're you're dealing with these uh, protests, and uh, you know I had a, a client where he's just he's hated, um, and and we are we're away, and he gets news that uh, somebody uh, had a dr- dump truck, a uh, dump, tr- uh, dump truck, and they came by his house and dumped like a, a whole dump truck full uh, of shit on his driveway and they were throwing it all over his house. It's like, you know, he, he looks at that and he's like, is this normal? Like, what is this? We're going to this event in New York and people hate him. And he's like, is everything going to be okay? Like, yes, sir. Everything's going to be fine. And you're, you're thinking, Oh shit. I hope the team has everything together because people really don't like this guy. You know, have you ever had any like really close calls like that? Like the, like the one guy getting shot where you, you were like, something's really going to go sideways this time. Um, I've had people put hands on the clients or, or try to do that. I've had to put some people down on the ground. Um, you know, working in the middle East, we've, uh, we've had to, you know, um, ram cars and get in the way of our convoy. Um, but I haven't had to, I haven't had to draw my firearm in, in this industry, uh, and I haven't been shot. Um, I had a lot of action when I was bartending. I got maced in the face and hit wow. with a bottle, um, you know. But but nothing uh, nothing in the executive protection industry other than uh, people trying to get handsy or people trying to jump on, you know, at the client. I had to put them down on the ground as uh, gently as possible. Well, uh, I right? guess that, that's a sign that you're that's a sign that you're doing your job right, though. I take it that you don't have you've never had to draw your weapon. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. It, you know, um, you know, making that determination. You know, hey, it's pretty sketchy. We need to get the hell out of here. Yeah. Versus, yeah. you know, you know, you know, 
you gotta, you gotta understand if there's a problem, your first responsibility is the principal. So I'm grabbing that principal, I'm shoving them in the car and we're out of there. Right. Yeah. You know, good planning in place. Taking a, yeah. Yeah. Taking a defensive position and hunkering down or, or whatever and trying to engage a threat. You're trying to see those things happen before they, they occur. Right. Whenever I look back on that old footage of either Kennedy being shot or um, you know and killed or Reagan being shot, uh, one of the first reactions that that I feel and I think a lot of people when they see that type of thing today, they're like that would never happen today, whether that's true or not. I mean, we haven't seen anything since you know the, that attempt on Reagan. Uh, on a president. I'm just wondering, what do you think is like the biggest evolution in private security that's that's changed so that we haven't had those type of, of uh, threats before? I mean, we had George Bush, you know, get a shoe thrown at him and that type of thing. But, you know, no one's taken a shot at a at a president since the 80s. Yeah, I think, well, what, you know, a, a lot of times, I mean, I think there's things that have happened that just aren't, you know, um, sure. Uh, in the media as well. But I mean, anytime that you see the president going and, you know, shaking hands or going to an event, I mean, those are all vetted people for the most part that are coming in. Uh, so there's a lot of white space that's created uh, between the actual um, public and, you know, the president. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, prep that goes into that that didn't happen before. You know, if you take like the Hinckley um, case and all of that with Reagan, um, and so, you know, everything with uh, social media monitoring and, and all those things happen so much faster now. So the intelligence gathering uh, happens quickly. Um, and, you know, we have a history of, of seeing what has occurred before. So, you know, you can learn um, you can learn from the past. And I think that there's been a lot of uh, uh, effort put in to making sure that doesn't happen. And, you know, our brothers and sisters in the secret service work really hard, uh, to make sure nothing happens. Right. Absolutely. Um, so last thing, unless you have anything, Jack, I was wondering where could people find you online? I was looking, you know, you're not like a big social media guy from what I see. Uh, I, I mean, um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, about, I think 18,000, uh, LinkedIn wow. followers. So, um, I, I do a lot of blogs and, and whatnot on LinkedIn, but uh, I'm certainly not doing Snapchat or anything like that. Everything else is uh, <laughs> is pretty much uh, on lock for family. Um, but yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, and I use that for kind of my uh, my uh, networking and, and uh, social networking platform. And then obviously, all my Facebook stuff is pretty much family and friends and that kind of thing. So cool. This has been really interesting, Jared. Yeah. I'm uh, glad to talk with you guys and uh, I'm super passionate about executive protection and uh, uh, we do some interesting work. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm always, uh, I'm always entertained to hear some of the like behind the scenes stories about yeah. this stuff. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you, uh, I've got another funny story if you want. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I love it. People are going to love these stories. I yeah. think the, you know, bulldozer of crap on the guys uh, driving, <laughs> I, I've never heard yeah. of this type of thing. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so I grew up in Alaska. I know how to ski. I'm pretty good, uh, pretty good skier. And um, I was taking a trip with uh, a client and her son to Aspen. And uh, again, I'm trying to, you know, build rapport with the principal. And you know, I say to the, uh, I say to the kid. I think he was about nine or ten. I said to him, uh, 
you know, hey, are you going to teach me how to ski? You know, and he's kind of laughing. And, yeah, I'm going to teach you how to ski or whatever. We, we go and and these principals are skiing in a way that I don't ski. You know, they're carving so much and going so slow. And typically when I ski, I bomb down the hill, carve a couple of times and, and, and go. Well, I'm working with my partner and um, all of a sudden uh, my pigeon toe catches up. And uh, I crossed my skis and I dolphin dive into the <laughs> side of the mountain. And uh, I bust my nose pretty hard. I mean, I'm just spitting blood under the white snow. And I hit my partner up on the radio. And I said, I'll catch you guys on the next run. I grabbed some snow. I kind of, uh, you know, wipe my face off. And um, I think everything's fine. And the principals, you know, come down. And the, the, the wife looks at me and goes, Oh my God, what happened to your face? And I, and I like take my camera and I'm, you know, I'm my phone and I look at my face. I had fucking ice burn. Mm. My nose was huge. Um, I, I look like I got beat up. <laughs> and I, she basically was so worried about me that I, I ruined her vacation. She told everybody, um, that I ruined her vacation because she was, you know, thinking I was hurt and then they lost complete confidence in my ability to ski and to protect them. And uh, I'm like, man, if I, if I would have just not said that I was a bad skier making that joke, then I would have been, would have been fine. Um, and it didn't matter what I did after that. She was, I was like her, her second son. Are you okay, Jared? Is everything all right? <laughs> so it wasn't a James Bond <laughs> moment. No, it wasn't a James Bond <laughs> moment. It was like, uh, I fucked that up moment. Right. Um, and, uh, and then the detail leader, when when, uh, when she went back to, to L.A., um, he was super nice to me. Went back to L.A. and go, yeah, Jared ruined my whole Christmas vacation. I'm like, oh, That's shit. hilarious. So, but I, I've got tons of those, you know, funny stories. And again, I like to uh, to point out all the ways that we've screwed up because I think it's more entertaining and it's more honest. Yeah. And, uh, about how I saved the day and how I'm so awesome. Right? <laughs> I mean, you definitely have to have thick skin for the job. It sounds for like. sure. For sure. Oh, you, you do all the time. And, um, you know, principals will, uh, sense any sort of weakness and make fun of you and, um, and, and test you. And so sometimes you pass the test and sometimes you don't. You know? <laughs> This has been eye-opening, man, and, and I hope a lot of people listening pick up the book. Once again, it's Public Figures, Private Lives. Uh, it's been great, and, and also, I'm sure you're listening. Thanks to Nick Betts for hooking it up, because this has been a great interview. Yes, thank you, Nick. Yeah, thanks. And thank you, guys. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thanks for taking an hour out of your day in the middle of the holidays. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, guys. Cool, Be safe. Have a great new year. Yeah, you too. Really enjoyed having Jared on. Uh, We have a lot more to cover before we wrap this up. But before I do with Jack, uh, be sure to check out Crate Club. We have different tiers of membership depending on how prepared you want to be. And gift options are available as well. Scott Whitner from the Loadout Room and the guys are currently working on bringing you 100% custom products in 2019. Everything from sunglass cases to EDC bags and other manly products. It's a club for men, by men. You can check that all out right now at CrateClub.us. Once again, that's CrateClub.us. Also, as a reminder for those listening, for a limited time, you can receive a 50% discounted membership to the Spec Ops channel. 
That's our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. The Spec Ops Channel premiere show Training Cell follows former Special Operations Forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country. Everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch this content by subscribing to the Spec Ops channel, and that's at specopschannel.com, and take advantage of a limited-time offer of 50% off your membership. Only $4.99 a month, and check out the app as well. Also wanted to bring something new to your attention for you guys. Um, we have the News Rep Financial Report. This is exclusive information that you can act on today to secure a brighter future for tomorrow. The News Rep Financial Report can help you discover new investment strategies in the defense sector. Defense industry stocks can be a lucrative investment if you buy at the right time. Our team of foreign policy, security, and military experts provide real-time intelligence for stocks based on global trends that affect financial markets in the national defense industry. By subscribing now, you'll get exclusive access to our industry expertise, the NewsRep Financial Newsletter Advantage. Our team offers unmatched defense industry familiarity and expertise, unbiased knowledge of geopolitical trends, full access to NewsRep's foreign policy, security, and financial intelligence platform, and access to our team of experts and analysts. Click on FinRep at thenewsrep.com. You can subscribe now, and that's where you'll get this. So uh, with all of that, uh, you know, first, actually, we should get into this is, uh, you know, not totally new at the moment, but we recorded the last episode uh, in advance. Uh, the big news really is General Mattis is out. Patrick Shanahan, now acting Secretary of Defense, we'll see who gets the position permanently. Yeah. Even though nothing seems permanent in the Trump administration. No. Well, we talked already, I think, about uh, our withdrawal from Syria. Yep. And, you know, Mattis uh, giving a letter of resignation is um, is uh, partly it's because of that. And he just sees a, a different vision, I guess, than Donald Trump does. Um. So, you know, he was, I mean, you read that letter. I mean, it was professional and and politely worded, but he is, uh, he was not happy with the decision. Yeah. Well, and, and also Trump got at first was very professional. And then I think he, he, Mattis is retiring. And then like two seconds later. Yeah. I gave this guy a second chance after Obama basically. Like I I threw this guy a bone. Yeah. (laughs) I I think, you know, you guys at the site, uh, you, um, even though he's, he's not currently writing, but um, Bill from Greece, uh, I, I was tweeting about it early on, were saying that uh, Mattis was out before a lot of people. Yeah, well, I mean, the writing was on the wall for a long time, I think. Oh, yeah, but there were people we had on the podcast that we mentioned this, and they're like, I didn't, I didn't hear anything about Mattis possibly being out. I mean, I, I think it became more and more clear. The, the, the biggest sign for me, even though this might be something stupid, but it just it, it seemed uh, like an odd comment was when Trump went on 60 Minutes and said, uh, Mattis is kind of a Democrat. Yeah. It was a really weird comment. It was a very weird comment. And it, that was because Mattis would push back on the things that Trump wanted to do and be like, oh, well, sir, that's not a really a great idea. It also didn't make any logical sense. I mean, the guy's the most apolitical, I think, of anyone in the administration. Never got uh, into the political discussions when, he, when they tried to... Uh, 
uh, basically yeah. get him, you know, involved in it. I mean, it's uh, you're dealing with a, uh, you know, a president who has a uh, huge ego and very thin skin. I mean, and Mattis is also apparently not affiliated with any party. I believe he's independent. Uh, and I think that came out. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, he was, uh, I mean, he was in a lot of ways the last man standing. I mean, obviously of Mike Pence, but uh, very few guys left that came into the administration at the beginning that are still there. I mean, different press secretary, yeah, well, different. I mean, if you look at, you know, Trump's style and how he does things, he basically uses people to drum up controversy and drum up press around himself. And then he discards them once he's not, he doesn't have a use for them anymore. Yeah. Zenki is out too. And maybe we'll get him on now that he's out in the new year. I doubt it. We, we had him on very soon before he was in. So we'll see. Uh, I mean, I'd be interested to have him on. Zinke's always been a very, you know, uh, friendly guy when I see him in person and uh, signed his book to me. Uh, but yeah, he'll no longer be in the administration. A lot of guys that that this audience liked are are no longer there. So yeah, the next uh, the next two years, you know, the the tail end of uh, of the first term are going to be interesting. And it seems like uh, Trump is increasingly isolated. Uh, Boxed in, you could say. Uh, Republicans no longer have control of the House, so he's going to be more limited there. Um, I think you'll see him lash out uh, more often. <laughs> more than already? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and, and it, the scary thing for me, uh, that for from a policy standpoint, what I see is I, I worry that Trump won't order us into war with Iran because he wants to make himself appear legitimate. Um, that people like John Bolton will go to him and say, look, if you invade Iran, it'll make you look tough. And then, well, here we go. But the fact that he's withdrawing from Syria and all that, that seems like the type of thing Bolton wouldn't, uh, no. Yeah. You're wouldn't sponsor. And and it seems like Trump is just making decisions on his own. And I I, I agree. And that's why these guys who are libertarian leaning, uh, I mean, technically Republicans, but I see like Rand Paul on Twitter is praising Trump for what he sees as like a more non-interventionist and, foreign and policy. drawing down, cutting the amount of troops we have in Afghanistan down by half. Um, so, yes, pulling out of Syria is detrimental to Iran, but or, or doing Iran, if that's the way we want to go. But at the same time, you can see this as us clearing the deck for Iran. So mm-hmm. we're bringing troops home, we're disengaging from some of these other fights so that we have more resources to go and fight the bigger fight. But uh, that's uh, that's speculative. I I'm, I'm not saying that's the fact that uh that that's what's being done. Yeah. All right, well we will see as uh 2019 approaches. I mean the 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 piece of good news actually was yesterday how um and it's funny I was just talking about the news rep financial report, the market saw the largest increase in a day in its history. How many points? I'd have to look it up again. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, I don't really care about the stock market. That's just. I like, dare you. That's like a play thing for rich people <laughs> who have money to throw away. I don't think like normal people have anything to do with the stock market, but uh, more than a thousand fifty points, shit, yeah. which is the largest in history. More than a thousand eighty-six <laughs> points. That's actually the most um, accurate from CNN right there. Um, so it's weird. Within a matter of months, we saw the largest fall in a day in the stock market and the largest increase in one day. The volatility. I, everything I have currently is precious metals. Um, I've only, I'll be honest, I only have invested one time in the stock market. 
off, I won't say where, off, uh, not a tip, but like, you know, a uh, suggestion from actually Andrew Wilkow. He was like, this is a, this is going to be a great uh, investment. And then the, the it got split into eighths. So my pretty small investment became an eighth of what it was worth. And it was pretty much close to nothing. So actually this <laughs> year I just took the money back and put it in my bank account. So thanks, Andrew. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can't blame him because his reasoning was good, but it's just it's hard to predict how where things are going to yeah. go. I mean, after 2008, that, that was the conclusion I came to. By like 2010, I pulled my money out and I had broken even. So I, I didn't lose money. But I, I took my money out of the 401ks and uh, invested in uh, bullion yeah, and that's where that's where it's sitting to this day. And it's not that volatile. No, um, I mean, but on the same token, I, I was actually just talking to you about this. I have friends. Um, I mean, one of them is is very well known, but Alex Waters, who was involved in Bitcoin very early on, and these people were telling you invest in Bitcoin when it was under a dollar, and you would have been stupid not to if you had a crystal ball. So, yeah, well, I mean, if you invested when it was at a dollar, I mean, you're still sitting pretty. Yeah. Yeah. So it's insane. So, you know, it's it's the same thing. I mean, I, it's it's hard to make a bland generalization of the stock market because there is going to be another Amazon.com. There's going to be yeah, another yeah. Microsoft. Where but it's like you have to have that kind of discretionary income. I, I personally, I don't see it as like a long-term investment for your retirement. Like you're I, not making millions right I, now? I don't think you can count on it to do that anymore. Yeah. You know, that worked for like baby boomers. Um, you no, know. yeah. It's because it's, it, it truly is more of a... Uh, a casino now than yeah. it used to be. Yep. I mean, just the, the fact. The, the house always wins. Yeah. As, as you know, as we were saying, the biggest drop in one day, the biggest increase in one day, all within, I believe, a month. Yeah. And I mean, everyone's predicting that the next economic crash, the next bubble is coming within the next, you know, 20 to 24 months. I'm sure it will. And actually, as Brandon has said, and Brandon's talked about this on his podcast, The Power of Thought, you know, not necessarily a bad thing. If you could figure out where to invest your money, people do make a lot of money during these crashes. Well, I mean, it's a bad thing when the when the people lose their retirement. Oh, of course. People lose th- but it doesn't have to be a bad thing for you individually if you could figure out where, if you could sure, buy property sure. at the right time, if you could buy... You know, yeah, yeah. You buy when it's cheap. You, know, you make some make some shrewd investments. Yeah, but I don't I, mean for the country. I just mean for individuals. If you want to figure out a way to make money during a market crash or during a recession, there is a way. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, that's what we were saying. Uh, what I was trying to bring up during our, our strategy meeting about the crate club stuff. I was like, you guys should have a plan in place for like the freeze dried food and all the prepper stuff because this when the market crashes people are uh they just grab that stuff up mm-hmm. i remember in 2008 like that stuff was huge yeah everyone was becoming like well, like like stay-at-home moms were becoming what we would have called survivalists <laughs> in the 1990s they were preppers what about the market for underground bunkers you know in in these remote locations there's a lot of high net worth individuals you know buying property underground i should have gotten into that with jared when we had him on but like if you've ever like wealthy people are totally obsessed with that kind of shit sure like the zombie apocalypse type stuff i think it's like when you when you become rich you have this like perpetual fear that you're going to lose everything yeah so like like a lot of hedge fund bros and stuff like that they're into that survivalism prepper type stuff 
And and I get it. They have a lot to lose. So they have the bunker out in the Pacific Northwest f- filled with guns. And, you know, after civilization collapses, they're going to be the last man standing with their their private armory. And uh, they're going to repopulate the world by impregnating all of the women that are, you know, it, it, it's like, yeah, it's that John McAfee. Yeah, type, I was uh, thinking John yeah. McAfee. Yeah. So um, last thing I want to get into here, uh, this was an excellent email. I, re- I really liked this. So uh, this is from Brian. Uh, I, I really, I just felt like this, this makes it worthwhile what we do. Uh, keeping it as brief as possible, new to the podcast, but I've already listened to almost every episode. As a civilian, I've always respected the military for its discipline and focus. My grandfather served as a tech sergeant in the U.S. Army in World War II, and he beat that discipline into me as a child, most times with a smack to the back of the head with his (laughs) army ring uh, turned palm side in. As an adult, I have had a career as a music educator. I mean, that's totally different than what you think. Uh, High school band director and a drum and bugle corps member and teacher. I currently own a restaurant, and I found episode 409 incredibly comforting. I'm in my first year of ownership going through the expected struggles as it is is reassuring hearing Mr. Emerson talk about what it takes to be successful. You do whatever it takes. I work seven days a week, 90-plus hours on site, I live 10 miles from my store. My Subaru blew an engine. I ride my mountain bike to work when I have to, three to five times a week. I'm doing everything in my power to get in the black as fast as I can. Clint's episode is my go-to when I get frustrated and want to say, fuck it. Keep up the great work. You don't realize how motivational you guys really are. I love the back and forth with Ian and Jack. Thank you. You guys are putting out incredible content. Thank you. And that is from Brian. And that's just awesome to hear, man. I don't know if I should plug his business or not. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm just wondering if he wants me. Yeah, to. why not? Yeah, so it's, uh, I guess it's pronounced Jocko's, J-A-C-O's, Tacos Fast and Fresh in Flowood, uh, Mississippi, right? I'm yeah. feeling it, and I'm like, MS is in Mississippi. So, yeah, I mean, if you're around the area and want to meet with a fellow listener of the podcast, check that place out. If I was around the area, I certainly yeah. would. But uh, thank you so much, Brian. That's That's awesome to hear, and I thought what Clint said was, really motivational as well and um you know i i remember you felt the same way a lot of what he said was valuable about that you don't you know put all your eggs in one basket Mm -hmm. with one company and that's why he's got a clothing line he's got these books going on and uh he also has his security company i think that's uh that's just like the modern economy for those of us who are not you know if you're an engineer or a doctor or something like that you're in it's this very uh professionalized career field um and there's a kind of like upward mobility um, but I think for the rest of us uh, slobs, <laughs> you have to um, diversify. You know, it's not you can't just be good at one thing. Yeah. And like I hear people talk about like taxi drivers and Uber and stuff like that. And it's like, dude, if your skill in life is driving a car, like you're you're set up for failure. Unless, to be fair, unless you are a you know over the road truck driver, a lot of those guys do very well or independent. Not oh yeah, operators. yeah. No, that's true. Um, and but. That's probably going to go away too eventually when 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 uh, it becomes uh, automated and you have drones, you know. Yeah, to- I, I, but I, I mean, you're still gonna. There's still going to be people shipping in. Uh, you know, there's for example, it's funny because I'm looking at Bub's Naturals across from us. The <laughs> supplement industry is mainly based out of Utah. You know, someone's going to have to bring those supplements from Utah to every other state, and I, I don't think a drone is going to bring you know, uh, a package of supplements or box of supplements from Utah all the way to New York. I mean, 
I still think you're going to have that need. Well, there's going to be human beings involved in it somewhere along the line, of course. But uh, like the long haul truckers, I, I mean, I don't think there's, in my opinion, I don't think there's longevity there over, you know, it's not immediately, but within the next, you know, two decades, three decades, I think a lot of that's going to be replaced by. That's still that's still pretty good, though. I mean, if you're a 40 year old truck trucker, you have a lifetime career, I would say. Oh, yeah. Well, those guys, I mean, look, I'm not I'm not trying to put down any of the truckers out there. I mean, those guys are, you know, the lifeblood of America in like yeah. a very real way. <laughs> like logistics is. But I even think it's super important. Things, all right. Like a, a table that we're on. Right. We have this glass table in front of us. Right. I don't think a drone. I mean, I don't know when it would happen that a drone is going to be able to deliver a thousands of these to another state but a drone can operate the boat that takes it from china to the united states a drone can operate the the big truck that drives it from say los angeles to new york um but then in between there's going to be spaces where there's going to be yeah, a person involved yeah. in like taking it off the truck and bringing it into our office or or taking it and putting it on display in a store or something like that yeah i i I could be wrong. I think the timeline for that, though, is, I think, further out than you think. But Yeah, it depends on a lot of things. I mean, there's also, like, um, protectionism, job protectionism. Sure, are, are which the, Trump is big on. The unions are going to fight back against some of these things. I mean, yeah, so it's I, – I, uh, I don't pretend to have a crystal ball. I just think yeah. over the long haul – you know, there's not a, a future in some of those careers. Yeah, I mean, we will see. Technology is a pretty incredible thing. And, and uh, I mean, the advances I've seen in my lifetime, you've seen in your lifetime, it's insane. So, um, well, thanks. If, if you guys have any other emails, send those over to softrep.radio at softrep.com. It's funny, I, I love Quint's clothing. I really do. So I was on the site the other day, and he was like, this, this cool shirt I wanted to buy, but they're out of my size. But uh, I gladly support Quint's um, Violent Nomad clothing because it's just very cool looking, great designs. Yeah, and Bub's Naturals was awesome <laughs> enough at, to yeah. send us all this stuff I, I just saw. Um, Sean Lake is just uh, such a solid guy, man. Um, Every few months he emails me. He's like, I got to restock you guys. No, and I, I just ran out of of, uh, of their protein powder too. So, And it's it's very cool, man. If you, if you guys listen to the episode Sean Lake was on, he talks about what inspired collagen protein for him as opposed to the whey protein that everyone else is doing. Um, I, I personally like the like unflavored stuff, um, you know, because it's, it, it's pretty straightforward. If you look at the ingredients, it's collagen protein. It's not like filled with dextrose and all these. Yeah, things. you can put it in water. You can put it in coffee. You can kind of do whatever you want with it. Um, if you, you know, you're sick of, you know, we all had that, like, what was it? Gold standard whey protein. Yeah. And like you might, after, you know, a gallon or you're two of that, you're, you might get a little sick of the double chocolate. It might be a yep. bit much. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, Bub's uh, is a good product. And uh, a large percentage of every uh, of every product sold goes to Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation. Yeah, I, I think it's like ten percent goes to the Glenn Doherty Foundation. Yeah, which is a lot. I mean, most of these products says like one percent, and you know that's a, that's a large percentage because once again, listen to the episode with Sean Lake. He talks about living with uh, Glenn at certain points and doing CrossFit together, and those guys were we're great friends. So that's, that's why, I mean, that's why it's called Bubs. He was Glenn Bub Doherty. Yeah. I'm sorry that we, uh, had not had Glenn on the podcast before he passed away to just do an interview with him because, uh, I can see why so many people, um, you know, have these very fond memories of Glenn. And I, I had only met him once, but I mean, he leaves an impression. He was such a nice guy, such a really like cool guy. He's like, um, 
you know, I've described him in the past, the way he struck me was uh, he's almost like what people think, like the, what the public thinks a Navy SEAL is, because yeah. he was like this guy, super in shape, super cool. Uh, and like played all these like like into extreme sports and stuff like that and like like all the like downhill skiing and like I think people used to say he had a PhD in recreation because <laughs> he was into all this different stuff. Uh, so he's a really cool guy, and uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, he he died heroically uh, in Benghazi, but you know, I'm sorry that uh, that he's not with us anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, he's celebrated on this podcast. Look, listen back to the Sean Lake episode and you'll hear a lot of those great stories from Sean. Um, I guess that's it. Uh, excited to, you know, do another episode on Tuesday, uh, which you'll hear on Wednesday. And I mean, the year is coming to an end and we've had a year of great shows. I'm going to put together a best of for new year's Eve with, uh, some of our best shows, but I was looking back on the most listened to episodes you have. You ready for our New Year's party, Ian? Uh, you know what? I was actually going to tell you, going from Long Island to Brooklyn, I don't know. I, I may have to bail on It's, uh, it's yeah. just going to be crazy because for me, I have to take the, the, you know, I don't know if you guys are who are, I don't want Alice to knock that over, which is Alice, about to Alice, Alice. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, all right. Little well, girl, please don't destroy the studio. <laughs> um... So uh, I should keep that in here. But uh, yeah, taking, I don't know how much the audience is interested, but taking the train from Long Island to Penn Station, then to Brooklyn, or having the option to drive all the way to Brooklyn, it's just kind of I'll, I think you can get on the LIRR to um, directly into uh, into Brooklyn. Not from my town. Uh, let, let me look at the, at the train I, map. I, I, know my, I know my LIRR from, you know, from where I, it, it goes... It only goes to Penn. I mean, unless I were to go to Queens and then somehow go from Queens to Brooklyn, it would just do. It's like it's a trek. Uh, so I don't know, man. But what are, what are you guys doing? You and Benny having some people over? Right? Yeah, I mean, we're having like you know some folks over. Um, won't be. I mean, we live in a, a New York City apartment, so it's not going to be huge. But yeah, there'll be some people coming by. So the best of, um, I'm still figuring out, but like some of our biggest episodes we had of the year, we had on Ed Derrick, we've had Mike Vining on, uh, I'm thinking of putting like some of the other big listen to episodes uh, of like Buck Sexton, Andrew Wilkow, uh, possibly Dale Comstock, and stuff like that. So excited, excited to uh, air that, and you guys can hear some of our best stuff. In 2019, we're going to have some excellent guests as well. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.